Hey guys, Ollie here from Bloody Decks and Local Knowledge. I got a couple of my buds here today. Dwayne Meller from Pinnacle Sport Fishing, Robbie Gant from AFCO. Um, we just wanted to have a little conversation about bluefin. Maybe you guys can get some takeaways from it, learn a little bit, um, and just kind of talk about this fishery. And I talk about it all the time. This is a very unique thing. You know, this is a once in a hundred year cycle that we're experiencing right now. It's a magic time. Like, you know, when, when the beak, who's what, 118 years old, <laughs> told me that these are the good old days, like that resonated with me. And I know you've been enjoying the hell out of it. And even Robbie's been getting out and doing some fishing. Like, yeah. what have you guys been, what's your thoughts on this, this little cycle that we're going through? I think this is the most special time we've ever had in our era to be a fisherman in Southern California. You know, this is stuff that as a kid, I'd read magazines or watch shows on ESPN early on Saturday mornings about, you know, being able to go catch a big bluefin tuna. I wasn't in a, in a place where I could travel and do that being so young and coming from where I came from. And now fast forward to here now to be able to leave the dock every day and, and have a chance or, a, you know, a, a really good chance at catching a hundred to 300 plus pound tuna on a daily basis. is just something I never, ever would have dreamed of if you would have asked me or told me this was going to happen, you know, 10 years ago, I just laughed. But yeah. it's a dream come true. Yeah, it's totally historic. You know, if you look back at the Tuna Club, you know, all their data that they have from when the Tuna Club was founded, you know, 100-something years ago, the fishing today is better hmm. than anything documented. So we're, it's really, like, the best you could ever, ever want. And we're, like, living it, right? I mean, yeah. and it just gets better, right? Like, 2015 was insane. Right, we got all these fish. They just, you know, we had bluefin, we caught, you know, shortbill spearfish, we had wahoo, we had all this stuff. You know, last year we had a billion dorado, and now this year we've got, you know, the tunas just don't seem to go away. And I know that um, Dr. Barbara Block was talking about those bluefin having like a seven or eight year cycle. Mm -hmm. Well, it's 2023, it started in 2015, so we're on year eight, but now we've got all this juvenile fish you know, fish are crossing the pond spawning. There's all these different things. So I don't even know if, if they know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's truly phenomenal. Yeah, I think a lot of it, you know, back then in the, the old Avalon days when it, the last cycle happened, they, you know, they got the chance to catch those fish. They they documented it. They did it. But nowadays we have, you know, the, the technology, the fleet, the, you know, everyone keeps tabs on it. You know, that fish could have been long, around longer than they know because they didn't have the means to get out in the boats that they had. They For were sure. fishing so rudimentary. Now we've got these, you know, amazing boats, center consoles, long range fleets, yachts, everything, keeping tabs on it. It's this stuff's, it seems like it likes to be here. Yeah. If there's groceries in the water. They're going to yeah. stay. <laughs> yeah. That's like, oh, I think that's the biggest question for all of us. Like how long is it going to last? Right. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know, like talking to Barbara Block and a few other people, Owen and all that, they say this is the new norm. Yeah. I'm having trouble believing that. And my argument to that is number one, it's impossible to hide a bluefin tuna, <laughs> right? They don't, they don't run deep. I mean, they will, but Daniel, if they're around, you're going to see some surface action. Mm -hmm. Where were they in the forties? Where were they in the fifties? Where were they in the sixties? There was not the commercial pressure that we talk about that has gotten way better. You know, the Mexicans are regulating themselves better. Mm -hmm. The people in Asia regulate. So I'm not sure if this is the new norm. I'm like every year, you know, February, March rolls around. You're kind of waiting to hear or see a foamer or somebody tell you. And then, okay, they're going to be back. It's like a relief every year. Who knows where this takes us and how long it lasts. Yeah. Hopefully forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. It is the new, well, you know, just pinch yourself every year. Yeah. Just be lucky that, that you're getting it 
right? Hundred percent. Don't expect, but be stoked. Right, yeah. but everything's like a cycle, yeah. right? And 100%. It, it's going to cycle out. Like you yes. know, when's the last time we've caught an albacore exactly. in any sort of numbers here? And that used to be the norm, and yep. now it's the norm of yeah. Northern California, Oregon, and Washington, right? Yep. So it will cycle out, but you know, like anything else, it'll eventually come back. Just hopefully in our our lifetimes again. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy to think like you could have a kid right now; he may never see what we're doing right, right. now. Yeah. Like literally that yeah. kid could get to be 75 years old and may never see the stuff that we're and seeing And they'll have right to now. be like we were hearing it from our old man and grandfather. The good old days. Yeah, exactly. dude, I don't want to hear about days. the good old days and now we're living it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's like the big guy. I yeah. mean, when I was coming up and, and really getting serious about salt, like 16, 18 years mm -hmm. old, dude, you go in the fall to the 302 mm -hmm. at dark, you troll marlin lures around, very good chance you were going to catch an 80 to 250 pound tuna. And they're gone. And that, that I think scientifically, you know, I've heard a lot of explanations that make sense. Like they're, they're putting those fads out off of Panama. They're netting up all the babies and that's why we don't see them anymore. Mm -hmm. Last one we saw was 2004. We caught a handful of them during the Make-A-Wish tournament. I don't think that's coming back for different reasons, but I don't know. Maybe these things do hang around. Maybe our currents have changed for, you know, 50 years and, and this is the new norm. But like you guys said, it's just been, I mean, beyond my wildest dreams, this fish or you throw in swordfish. And you throw in some of the other stuff that, you know, had like the Dorado year. I mean, dude, I've never been. Have you been anywhere in the world and seen that much mahi anywhere? Uh, no, no, not like last year. It was, was pretty impressive. It was unbelievable. Yeah, insane. You know, so I don't know. Enjoy it while you can. I think it's a short message there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, you got to get on the water when, you know, when the fish are here, it's it's time to go. You yeah, know, totally. don't, don't wait. And I made that mistake in 2015 when all that blue marlin was up at the islands. And all my buddies were going and just crushing them. And I just couldn't get it with work and family and everything else. And I, and I just kicking myself for not, you know, finding the time yeah. just to go up there and just to, for anything else, just to say, I, I caught a local blue marlin. Yeah. Right? yeah I mean, that's absolutely. pretty special. Yeah. That was the one thing we weren't able to catch. We had one up in the jig swatting at it, swatting at it and could not get him to eat it. And man, I'll never forget that. But we put a lick on those Wahoo and that was yeah, some special that was stuff. <laughs> we hooked one of those fun. blues and it absolutely melted a TLD 30. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a knife to a gunfight. <laughs> People Whoops. don't realize how hard a blue marlin pulls, yeah. especially when you're a tuna guy. I mean, they'll run off some line, but it's nothing like a big marlin, a blue dog or a black man. Holy moly, that's something to see. Yeah, it's special. And in our local waters, that's just crazy. So, okay, let's carry on the conversation about bluefin. Um, there's so many ways to catch them. What, what's your favorite way to catch them? I'm going to go ahead and say kite. You yeah. know, we have 1,132 fish over 100 pounds on the kite in this eight-year cycle. It's truly amazing bite. You know, I think it's it's rad because it's a lot more moving parts. It does take a lot more talent and skill. And at the same time, you're really, really stealthy. You don't really rattle the fish. You have chances at getting drifts for eight, ten fish if you play your cards right. And uh, I've just completely fallen in love with kite fishing. And we were doing it before down in Cabo for for yellowfin on the gordos you know back in like 2010 2008 2009 right in there but to be able to transfer that to here now um i've just completely fallen in love with it yeah i'm with you what about you robbie yeah i mean the the kite bite just watching them blow up yeah i mean it's sick price you know, of emission alone. a foam or two like a foamer bite is rad just because mm -hmm. it's straight froth and it's just nuts and chaos and but I don't know. I think we can all agree we've probably made five billion casts into a foamer and only have a handful yeah. of fish. Yep. Versus like the kite is, it's pretty sick. It's yeah. it's fun. It's best bite, best bite in sport fishing, I think. I, I, dude, I agree with you. And to be able to like the evolution of it was really cool. Mm -hmm. In 2015, in August, a couple of my yacht buddies called me and they're like, dude, go to the 43. 
do what you guys do in Puerto Vallarta. Except back then we used a caballito. We weren't even using yeah. a, a yummy flyer. Yeah. And I, ha I had a couple of yummies somebody sent me. I'm like, well, let's try that. Rolled out there 15 minutes later, caught a little piece of history. Yeah. Like it was crazy. Just crazy to have that happen. I remember you were at Shimano. I remember it was on the TAC-50 prototype yep, yep. back in the day. And it was like, that changed everything. That one bite changed, in my mind, my yeah, whole, so you're everything done, I right? know about yeah. local fishing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. So talking about the kite, I mean, you're the master of it. I love doing it as well. You 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 live and die by it a lot more than most guys. Like if you had three tips, somebody trying to figure out the kite, because that's the weirdest thing. Like a lot of people come out of town to fish with me, clients from Florida or whatever. I almost feel stupid when I put the kite out. Yeah. They're like looking at you like, you do all this shit yeah. to yeah. get a bite from a fish. I'm like, look, I know it's crazy. Wait till you see the payoff. Yeah. It's totally worth it. Stand by, sir. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's like, it, dude, it's wild. Like trying to explain that to somebody who's used to dangling a single. We got all this stuff going on. My wife calls them fish puppets. We're rigging up our dolls, you know, <laughs> yeah. with the yeah, zip tie yeah. and all. Like what two or three takeaways from somebody looking to get better at the kite or even learn to fish the kite? Um, you know, slow it down. Really pay attention. Um, take advantage of every little opportunity you have. Because sometimes a, a single meter marker, a single shiner can be the gateway to a whole quarter mile of fish below that you know really see in, or see the fish really watch which way they're swimming watch if they're going down swell and turning back it's it's not too hard especially if you're elevated up in a tower um once you find out that there is a lot of fish there make calculated drifts don't just stop your boat because you're marking fish a lot of the time you're just stopping in the middle of the school the end of the school you know one thing that's really worked good for me and i'll, I'll let the cat out of the bag is once you start marking turn your boat right into the wind and don't stop that boat until you stop marking. That fish is all right behind you, and you just set yourself up to have a whole biomass swim through your spread. And uh, when you do that, have at least six to ten flyers ready and uh, let them have it. Yeah, that's a huge deal. And when we learned that that day, we went out and killed it. Like, we were kind of doing that, but we were shutting the boat down too soon. Yeah. And you're like, no, turn into the wind and keep going until you stop seeing yeah. the marks. And one thing that I've done to fine-tune that is, and so the reason you're going to turn into the wind, if your boat's coming this way, you start marking fish here, and the wind's blowing at you this way, which typically that's kind of a common setup, mm -hmm. the fish are right here under your boat. If you start fishing a bait, you're going to catch a little piece of them. Yeah. If you turn your boat into the wind, now your kite, theoretically, is going to be directly behind your boat exactly where you metered those fish yeah and and the other thing that i get we get anxious because a lot of times the kite's 300 yards away you want to drop it wait yeah wait until like and i'll see that bend in my wake and i'll, I'll tell the guys 50 yards 100 yards short of that then drop it in because those fish are moving and i want to mm -hmm. get it right on their heads before they get a chance to leave town yeah and a lot of the time i'd say more times not caught seven out of ten times those fish are swimming into the wind too it seems so if you can get above them drop your kite or put your kite out and let them swim through you you're gonna cook way more than one yeah they seem like they bite way better too when you get the bait in front of them versus bringing it in behind them yeah usually the lead of the school is the most aggressive fish those ones want to eat real bad and once you get those ones fired up it comes like a you know like a cat oh it's <laughs> <laughs> custom it fires great. up the rest of the <laughs> it fires up the rest of the school to bite you know um I've, I've noticed it a bunch of times where you'll you stop too soon you drop your fire you don't get bit you get ahead of that school and you drop it in the in the lead fish you're bit immediately yeah i found the same yeah and it's once it's it is that's that pack mentality once you get one of them fired up it's on yeah you know the other ones are following those the yeah. lead of the school so sometimes i'll bite but a lot of times they won't yeah, no, you know, no. They'll, they'll, they'll really lamely bite it, but you get them fired on the, the fired up edge of the school, those things start going. Yeah, and also, I think more to your point too, when you run over that first chunk, guys freak out and they want yeah. to put a bait in. 
Yeah. Well, dude, you're tip of the iceberg, right? Like yeah. you keep going, it gets meteor and meteor. And next thing you know, you've got a mountain of it behind your boat. Yeah. And all you got to do is get a bait somewhere near. And that's it. talking like general, like meter marks. Like I'm not talking one or two fish type deal. There's again, like I said earlier, you can stop on one, uh, one or two fish mark and you might be on the very, very leading edge of the school. We just wait it out. A lot of times you'll get bit right away and then they just come hot heavy after that. But when you're, you, you run over a nice jag of fish, which, you know, quarter of your screen, you probably just got a little chunk of a big, big school. So again, you know, I always turn my boat into the wind. Sometimes they're going downwind, but most of the time they're going upwind. So you just go, 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 go until it comes off your meter. Like as it's feeding on, you know, you'll still have it on the back end of the meter. That's the, that's the start of the school right there. And, and if you're not seeing up. it move, yeah, always. I see so many. It's like, it's like the old man thing where they want to go put their jigs in at the 302 because they caught fish yeah. there last July. Yeah. Just <laughs> right see on top guys, of the 302. Yeah, right on <laughs> that's, that's where all the fish hide, right? Directly under a kelp patty and yeah. on top of the 302. But just sitting there. Like, dude, you're killing time. You only, especially these runs we're making right yeah. now. Like, you know, you're doing 12-hour trips. You yeah. run three hours each way. You got six hours to get it done. Yeah, it's borderline you know? almost, you know, tournament style fishing when you've got to go that far you're under the clock and under the gun so you've got to make the most of every single minute of your day you know and if you're sitting there in dead water just letting your flyer soak you're you're just killing time yeah but there's also like patience involved at the same time absolutely or, or i've seen that too to where you know if you get into a zone and there's fish on the meter you know you got to stick it out right yeah. don't leave fish to go find fish yeah, is, yeah. is the motto you know and we were doing that in the I fished in the tuna tournament, tuna tournament a couple of months or a month ago or whatever, and that was key. Like on our first day, like we found a jag of fish. You know, we got everything set up, and you know, it just took a while for him to go. But yeah, once it went, it went. Yeah, right? sure, but, sure. You know, but the whole time you're like second guessing yourself of like, eh, you know, just a piece here, a piece there coming into the machine, and it's like you know you want to go find that big giant the meat, the meat. But yeah. when you're under the gun, you don't have all that time. You know, you you kind of gotta you know. Sit just it out. go with it you yeah, know and, yeah and hopefully it pays off these are without question the moodiest fish on earth like you oh, get God, them in yeah. the right mood and the tiniest two fish jag Blister. turns into a banger yeah and you get them in the wrong mood and you're staring at breezers like the size of disneyland and you cannot get, get a, a bite. bite just and i don't know what it is i, I mean we obviously we know the tide does something to you know get them excited that's probably some another good tip we can give is just like I time my day around tides. Yeah. I want to get as many tides in. So if I've got to leave early to catch two tides, I'm leaving early. If I got to leave late, yeah. then I'm leaving late. And then you'll also see certain years and certain times of the year, they just bite at different times of the day. Yeah. And absolutely. now they're back on that PM cycle. Like they like the afternoon lately. Yeah. You know, and that's another thing I would tell guys that are trying to get better at it to, you know, to really pay attention to. Yeah. Conditions as well. Um, you know, if you, obviously we've been kind of riddled with wind here the last few weeks and you want to go on a really calm day, but you really should try to pick your days if you have to pick a day that you are going to have a little bit of wind in the afternoon. Because most days where we've had it, you're seeing breezer after breezer and you're putting your bait and your offerings into them and they're not biting. It's not much condition. I've yet to have a day where there's killer condition and have that happen. Yeah. You know, if there's wind, if there's surface disruption, you're bit. Yeah, no, that's you're true. It, it, they definitely bite better. And also, I mean, to quote my buddy Rush, you get just kite mares when you're trying to fish that stuff with right. no. I mean, you go from looking like a pro to an a hole so fast yeah. when there's no, and it doesn't matter who you are, what you got, like 
that will just ruin you. You'll get so frustrated. Yeah. I think the best days are when you have zero win until like 11 o'clock. Yeah. And then give me 9 to 12 for the rest of the day. And yeah, let you the, get out there really fast. Exactly. And not, <laughs> not get beat to death. Yeah. that's. I mean, that's what I'm looking for when I look, you know, because I'm not running every day like you are. I'm three, four days a week. I'm picking my days. And, yeah. You know, good conditions like that. You know, some days you just got to go when it's greasy, calm, and to get really very well acquainted with the balloon mm-hmm. and frustration and you, you still may catch a fish. Yeah, yeah. So that's a, uh, definitely a half-full way of looking at it. You know, if anything, you take away managing your kite, doing double balloons, any other trick you can do. Like, I mean, at one point, we were killing gutting our flyers when there was like five knots of wind. Oh, and we sewing them back up. Oh, and using God. changing all of our 400-pound swivels to 250-pound swivels, yeah, it's a little light. Yeah, everything anything up. you can do to lighten up your offering yeah. to work with the little amount of wind that you have on that particular day, it does make a big difference. Yeah. Are you when you're so if you're going straight balloon, like I go balloon to a clip because I'm cheap and balloons are really expensive right yeah. now. Yeah. So I'm doing are you doing the same thing? Or are you letting the balloon Here's a secret, dude. I've never used a straight balloon in my entire life. Oh really? You I mean I have did? like fish and P V and Cabo and stuff, but um here I feel like an ultra light kite, very ultra light kite with the double balloon rig just is just as effective really and it keeps my my stuff up you know you always risk a chance of, of popping that like very expensive balloon even if you're fishing the clip mm. um so we always always no kidding tight. yeah yeah mm. when it's dead still we go straight balloon i really i haven't tried the double balloon rig when it's that calm i kind of go yeah, right to the balloons i've given up. and it, it works yeah, you just got to get away from the balloon yeah you got to walk it around just in gear for sure and that's like the, the only time i've really had them eat it in the in directly behind the boat because you're not causing a lot of disturbance with prop wash if yep. you're just in gear you're you're creating enough self-made wind being just in gear that you keep your offering up and you just get a little further away from the boat or behind the boat and it, it works really really well yeah you do kind of got a time and and maneuver yourself into schools when it's like that but just slow it down again and you need some help like yeah trying to get that thing swing it out like we would the kite into a breezer that ain't gonna happen yeah plan better it's kind of think your moves out 200 300 yards at a time instead of 50 yards and exactly you yeah. might actually get a bite. preparation yeah right? like in i don't fish center consoles much anymore you know i'm more on like you know little yachts or whatever you want to call them and uh it's really making sure everybody on the boat has a job and know what absolutely oh is, yeah any kind of right? fishing because like that. when you get into that situation you know, you don't want to be scrambling because you've got that little moment of time to, you know, to, yeah. to get bit. And uh, it makes all the difference in the world. Like when you get into those crappy situations where you don't have wind, and, but everything's prepared and like ready to go. So when you hit it, it's just bang, 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 and you're deployed. And, and Yeah, no know, toe stubs, no nothing. You know, I even I work with a deckhand nowadays, um, you know, so I'm putting the guys on fish and, and, and reading the school and telling when the drop or, you know what I mean? Our deckhand's winding the fish tight. I have a client on the kite reel immediately because if you have no wind and you're tight on the kite, it hardly ever pops unless someone's on it putting in gear full speed right away. So you even you put the, our clients in, into a work scenario, mm-hmm. you know, and then everybody takes a turn on a fish or getting a fish and everyone takes a turn getting the kite in, you know, everything, you know. Just being prepared, like Robbie said, is absolutely critical in, in tough condition situations like that. That's another good tip, too, is I, I see a lot of people get bit, and you watch your kites go down. I'm like, what are you doing? Yeah. As soon as we're bit, that kite lever goes full speed. Yeah. Tightens up the kite, makes it go in the air, and more times than not, you're going to pop the clip. Exactly. And I, I'm sure you do the same thing. I set my clip on exterminator. Yeah. Like, yeah. I want the rebite, especially with the California Flyer, where mm-hmm. I'm getting three, four bites sometimes before one will stick. You know, as tight as you can get. I want it, it hooked tension. in the clip. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's hooked, and then it pops, and you're already 
buried the exactly. The You're going to lose a lot less fish doing that too. So. I feel like, yeah, and it doesn't take much to get all those hooks in them. You just mm -hmm. got to get a little bit of pressure on them to get that thing started. And I feel like even that slack condition when it pops, yep. you're probably already tight. Yeah, you absolutely. Know? Um, let's see, what's some other stuff? Like one of the things that I noticed, there's a lot of people that go out and get one fish in a day. It happens, you know, like yeah. find some drift, whatever, get one bite. What's the difference between the guys that get one fish and the guys that get 10 fish? Again, I think it's paying attention, you know what I mean? Taking, getting an, an opportunity and taking full advantage of it. Again, not just, oh, I got a, you know, a quarter screen filler, stuff the boat. Yeah, I got, oh, we got bid or one for two where the guy who turned into the wind and went, you know, a half mile, a quarter mile above the school and stopped, got limits in one drift. Yep. You know, that's that's the key. Knowing when to stick and stay and when to move and, and, and get going again. You know, don't just sit there just because you got three bites on one drift. That stuff does move. Surprisingly enough, they have fins and they swim. <laughs> so you've got to stick on the school if you want to, you know, produce numbers. If you're cool with one, two fish, that's fine. But, you know, again, in my situation, being a charter captain and taking clients fishing on a daily basis, we want to get everybody at least one fish. You know, yep. and in, and in doing so, it's again paying attention and and knowing when to stick and stay and 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 when to move. And I think being ready for that ripper bite. Oh like, yeah, dude, we bring four rail rods or five oh, rail yeah. rods on every trip. I can't tell you how many times I've got a quad going. Triples are like no, that's you know happens all the time because you get in them, just being ready to fire. And yeah. you know we've got five six bullets ready to go in the cooler yep. rigged you know so i've got flying fish ready to go i got four rods when we get bit come tight put the kite gear put the kite reel in gear and have it hauling ass i turn around dave my deckhand's got another rod waiting for me i clip it in strip off the leader he's going to get in a bait and by the time that clip comes back it's going the other way yeah rapid fire yeah. totally and i think that's something where guys could really practice and get better and that goes back to what robbie's saying everybody has a job stick yep. to your job know what your job is the faster you can fling flying fish off the side of your boat the more fish you're gonna hook and dude i mean these windows of opportunity sometimes they're all day but usually they're 10 minute windows yeah. 20 minute windows you know to get bit as many times as you can and yeah. i think that's really important you see guys scrambling don't know where stuff is i know that's not happening on your boat that's certainly not I mean, it's it's hard enough without you know not having your shit together like yeah. have have your stuff together be ready assume that every stop you're going to kill five fish yeah or just assume that every stop might be your only only opportunity of the day so for sure the most of it for sure yeah but yeah. i think a big tip is what you pointed out and i've seen this happen a million times and we've all probably seen it but the guy will rig a flyer and get it out and you know you might get blown up on you know he might you might blow out a wing you know you might have a little baby mako shark come chomp on it or something like that and you got to wind all that stuff back in and i see the guy in the back no baits in the water and he's sitting back there he's got his skewers out and he's got his zip ties out and he's yep. doing it. it takes forever 100 percent. right so in you know you've got the six hour window so if you're really good at rigging a flyer or you know rigging the you know the hook rig and all that kind of stuff it still takes a yeah. long time so if you do that throughout the day you might have burned an hour of your fishing time yeah just screwing with flyers flyers yeah. and not yeah. have that rapid fire ability yeah I mean, at least have six time. rigged ready skewered laced up and skinned up and hooks everything laying in your cooler between your ice bags ready you yeah. know and even we'll get into a bite as soon as we're double if we have six flyers i'm rigging flyers right away or, or nico or austin or whoever's worked with me yep. is rigging right away because i always want to have six flyers so you never know when it's going to go rapid fire like that and it happens all the time right so we grab the cali it's like so why aren't we have flyers rigged you know yeah. everything does work but again i just 
you know, I don't think guys can afford this day and age to have six California flyers ready. So have, you know, your, your frozen popsicles ready. I usually, like when we're, we're rigging flyers, I put the California together and it sits yeah. on the dash and it's ready to go. Yeah. That's usually our party starter. We'll start the party with that. I have at least two on each boat and then we go into the frozens. And then if we get tight on the frozens or whatever, we get just walloped and wing smash. And then, it, which does happen, you go like, dude, I just went through six flyers and only got two fish. Send out the Cali. Yeah. Some whoever's not fishing it, rig, 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 yep. back up to six. But always keep that stock of rigged and ready flying fish, you know, available and ready for you guys. And uh, you'll see the numbers grow exponentially. Let's talk about the California flyer. So I love it. I know you love yep. it. For me, if I'm moving or looking. You know, you know they're in the area. You aren't marking them right now. California flyer, first time every time. Okay. Um, as long as it's moving, I think it gets a bit better than a dead flyer, just because you can slap it and beat it up and mm -hmm. do a lot of stuff that you couldn't, and it gets a lot of attention when you're doing that. I feel like mm -hmm. um, we're drifting though. I generally prefer the dead because I've seen them come up and they'll get bit on the dead stick, no question. But I, I'm sure you've seen they'll roll on it and yeah. they won't. You know, like they just they sent something's wrong at the last second. It'll peel off of it. Yeah, Maybe I've never got one dead stick. We get a lot of our bites from the side of the boat, shotgun launching it. So they basically launch your balloon as like out to the moon and then let that thing go. Let it do like a 60, 70 yard shotgun skip where it won't even make it to its point of destination usually. Yeah, that's and we do the same thing. And the other thing that we do a lot too is when we do get into that drift pattern because you're bait up or whatever, is that flyer's never just sitting off the side of the boat unless we're killing a fish. Yeah. Like if we're all hands are on deck killing a fish and a lot of times you look over and the rod's doing what you want it to do, but I'm always walking it in and walking it out yeah, if yeah. we're drifting. And it makes a huge difference. And, you know, I'm a big hunter and I always think about like, I can glass the side of a mountain for three hours straight and I won't see a thing. And then all of a sudden I'll glass by and I'll see a deer's ear twitch. Yeah. And I think it's the same thing. Predators are, your eyes are set up to see movement and just that little bit of extra movement. Reaction. Definitely. Yeah. gets that reaction bite, gets them fired up. What's some of the other kite stuff you guys would say to get guys pointed in the right direction? Um, another really good one that I think's kind of been a, a lost lost utensil is um the yummy especially when you're getting in an area you're marking fish here and there you know there's been fish in that area even maybe the day before or, you know what i mean what you know it's there and you're seeing little bits and pieces and scraps put out that yummy and cover a little bit more ground a little bit faster you know i think it's it's a way better tool than the mad mac you might catch more fish with the mad mac probably a lot more smaller ones but with that yummy you're going to cover a lot more ground than you would with a normal flyer and you're going to raise big fish and it's going to give you signal when you're on them really good you're like that thing gets bit and it you know the commotion it makes you know draws draws the big bites and the bigger fish up um and again you cover ground so that's that's something that I think is really important that people have forgotten about. We've used it every single year and had success with it. And it's it's made our day to where we slowed it down after that. We got a bite from that. Then it comes under their boat like crazy. Like, okay, there's the meat right there. Send out popsicles. Here we go. You know, it's a good search search bait. Yeah, scattered. Scattered little chunks. That's when we'll go to it. And it's funny, like, it's a tool of yesteryear, like yeah. five years yeah. ago. That's all we knew. That's you know actually I mean? like, the best bite. Yeah, it, it it's a way better bite than a frozen it's flyer. The, yeah. It's because they are playing cat and mouse with it, and they eat it with aggression, yeah. and they're eating it a lot faster at a way quicker clip. And it's you know I call them tuna bombs. When you see two or three of them fighting over it, and that thing's just ever. blowing all yeah. over the place, and none of them can eat it, and you're just screaming and losing your yeah. mind. And it's rad that those baits don't get jacked up and they get smoked and they don't stick. They just come back a little. And the fish can't resist that. They're like, it's know. the infinite popper cast. Yeah, that's exactly. all it is. Yeah, it's a popper sure. cast that never stops. Yep, exactly. It works so good. Yeah, that is a good one because I, I feel like everybody's forgotten that in lieu of a Mad Mac or mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, on a grease calm day, 
I'll, we run the Mad Max. I know you're not a fan, but like, or we'll run a high Bonita or even a big Rapala we've gotten bid on. Mm. Like, there's just no condition. We're looking for breezers or whatever. It, it works for us, you know? And yeah. a lot of times I'm just happy to get a fish, especially on a no wind day. Yeah. But I do, I, I love that. The still love the, the yummy. It's just, it's the sickest bite. It's ever. fun. Yeah. A lot of fun. All right. So that's a lot of kite info. Um, let's talk about some of the other ways to catch them which I like catching them all on the kite and especially cause I like catching them on the right gear. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> There's so many times where you see a foam or a 40 and sixties and you throw a surface iron in it or a little stick bait. And what happens? You just get smoked by the wrong Four hours size. later. Yeah. We call that tuna jail on our boat. Yeah. Everybody else is in tuna jail watching you pull on that fish and you can't do it. Then they will be blown up all around you. You can't do a damn thing. Right. Yeah. So it's like right gear at the right time, but definitely I would say probably my favorite way, second favorite way to catch them would be the foam or fishing. Yeah. Yeah, it's sure. sick. I agree. It's just so sick. What do you guys use? Like, what's what's your go-to for foam or fishing? Um, you know, various surface lures, kind of whatever it works. You know, we'll have several big. I, I use first and foremost if it's foam or fishing. I always have a lures ready. Nine three glass lures. If you don't have a nine three glass lure, a composite super seeker lure will work. Uh, buffing up the foregrip with some some diamond uh, X-Wrap mm -hmm. and use a two-speed reel, whether it's a Shimano, Diab, Pen, whatever. Make sure you have a two-speed reel, 80-pound braid, um, like 40-size reel, 30-size reel is perfect. And be prepared to hook those big fish. We have a couple 200-pounders, uh, 222 and a 212 on, on long rod gear. And the first one came on in Lua, but with a single-speed Trinidad 20. Oh, God. That fish took four and a half hours. <laughs> oh, no thanks. That's uh, the, jail. Yeah. Right after that, I, I upgrade to a two-speed reel. A week later, we got a you know the 212 in like 12 minutes. And um, that, you throwing a popper first? Both of those fish were popper fish. Okay. Yeah, both of those fish were popper fish. I'm fishing 130 mono uh, to give a little stretch and forgiveness on head shakes and stuff like that. But those rods you're able to put on the rail. And again, I'm just kind of speaking big fish again. Um it's kind of overkill for the smaller grade, but it's you never know what's going to pop up. And that's like the main, main ingredient to our surface casting arsenal is the heavy jig stick. Um, you know, I can't tell you how many mid 100 grade or 100 pound grade fish we've had very quickly with that setup. Yeah. You're not getting put in tuna jail. Everyone's going to get their turn. That phone is going to pop up. You're going to put that fish on. You're going to go make another cast. Yeah. Um, and you're talking lever drag, right? Yeah. Yeah. Two speed lever drag. Absolutely critical. Um, you know, we had a fit, we had an instance last year where we hooked, a, a, a like a 160 something on a single speed on a Alua, 93 Alua. That fish took two and a half hours. The very next day we hooked a 168. I hooked and handed for a client, walked him through it. That fish was in the boat in 15 minutes. Yeah, it's crazy. And you know. they're just like any other fish. You keep their head coming. Yeah, they're, exactly. They're that's, yeah. Low Guys gear. Guys don't get that. Low gear is your, low gear and rail is your friend with that situation. Totally. You know? Just keep it coming. Keep, don't give them a chance to turn their head and they'll swim right to the boat like a mackerel. And I see so many guys get tired or wore out. And that's probably one of the biggest mistakes I see a lot of guys that aren't used to pulling on them is they try to make the fish submit to their game. And yeah, that wrong. just isn't going to, isn't going to work. I always say the fish is the boss until it's in the boat. Exactly. That gear ain't going to, it's going to be a while. <laughs> yeah, and you see these dudes like trying to muscle them and pull on them and yeah. dude, that's not it. Yeah. That is not it. Let the fish, the fish fight his York fight. Promise. Yeah, he's gonna win. He's gonna win that battle almost every time. Yeah, yeah and then eighty to one thirty, you know, it's pretty. I do basically the same thing, mm -hmm. but it's like impossible to break it, that. Dude, it's so hard. Break it. Can't On a rod and reel, it. it's it's almost impossible. So you can literally just pull his rail and yeah. hold it. Yeah. And yeah. Put just, your hand in yeah, there. Yeah. yeah don't, totally. Don't give him an inch. Wedge yeah. your fingers into that yep. spool. 
Think about every move. time you're at the Coronado Islands on 40-pound yo-yoing and you stuck the reef with your surface iron, how hard it is to break 40. Yeah. yeah. Now triple that. It's, I mean, like you said, it's yeah. almost unbreakable. If you can tie a knot and all that good stuff, you can pull as hard as you want. That's another thing we do too is like jam your, when you got them on the kite gear, the heavy stuff, don't let them have an inch. Yeah. Jam your hand in the spool. Do whatever you got to do. I mean, we don't fish crazy tight. It's like 26 at strike and 32 on the button, yeah. but we use a lot of hand. Yeah. After really their first them. initial run and head shake deal, you get them settled, you can you can really put the screws and heat to them. They're, they don't have too much left in them. They've got enough to sulk yep. and they got enough to do short, short bursts, but they don't have enough to dump your spool again. Even 300 pounders, we've done it with them. It's, it, they do their big first run, their f- few first head shakes. And after that, you can tame them with a lot of drag. Yeah. yeah and I just think like in that situation, you know, using that mono top shot, you're talking about like the stretch, mm-hmm. right? But when you jack up that drag, you know, that high and they're doing the sulk, you need that mono. Yep. Cause I'm a, I'm different. I, I do, you know, the, the 80 braid, but I'm using a short piece of fluoro. Okay. I can't jack the drag up yeah. that much because I have to compensate for that. But that's just my style of fishing. Sure. That's what I, I like to do. But, you know, just for those guys that are listening to this, you know, having that longer piece of mono, you can definitely jack that drag up. Cause yeah. you do have that stretch factor versus a guy that fishes more my style. Hmm you got to be way more cautious if you jack that. Yeah, you, you almost have to like work with swell. There is no stretch, yeah, right? And, yeah. and I don't know why, but that's just how I grew up, you yeah. know, doing this deal. But I was the same way forever, especially like the beginning. It's like we were fishing our flyer, not to go back to flyer, but just on this this topic. I was fishing straight to braid. Yeah. And we were we were doing really well, but we were pulling a lot of hooks and, and you know, breaking hooks and, and uh, swivels and stuff. So we, we just... We went to mono and it gave us a lot more forgiveness, especially with clients and guys who don't understand like working with swell, like it'll absorb swell, it'll absorb head shakes. It, it's a it's a safety buffer <laughs> yeah. for sure. Um, but there's nothing wrong with the way you fish. Right. It's fun, it's, well, I just it's don't violent like the, and it feels like it. the knots. Yeah. The knots going through the guides or the knot that comes onto the spool mm-hmm. drives me I totally crazy. agree. Got it. So yeah. that's why I, I use, you know, it's like literally like a, a four foot section of like 130. Yeah. And that's all outside the tip. And yeah. you're doing that all on, oh, I got you. So, right. it's not so when I'm casting, I can cast anyways. I feel as though I can cast a heck of a lot further. Yeah, because you have nothing hitting guys. Yeah. Yep. You know, or the, or the, you know, your thumb hitting the knot that's mm-hmm. on the spool, or there's a lot of different things that could slow it down. Sure. Um, and I think that's kind of why I've, I've gone, you know, that direction. Yeah. Coming from the PV stuff, I mean, that's where I got all my big fish experience was like 04, 05, 06 down there. We always fish wind ons, and I just carried it over here, and I have gone straight braid. You're going to pull hooks and you beat the crap out of unexperienced anglers. Yeah, you, you need that stretch, <laughs> yeah. you know? And like I use, I use straight fluorocarbon, you know, got a great relationship with cigars, good stuff. And I make my own wind-ons because I don't trust anybody else's. I've had them all fail. No disrespect to AFCO. I haven't had an AFCO one fail, but like, I just want to know that it was done by me. And then I've got a rig tied up on the corner of my palapa so I can test them. And the amount of stretch in 200-pound fluoro, I think, would blow people's mind. Yeah. Everybody thinks fluoro doesn't stretch. Dude, that thing, I mean, when I'm pulling on a 30-foot leader, I can probably pull eight feet of yeah. stretch into it, right? And for me, not having a knot, knowing I've got that shock absorption. And the other thing, too, is get an, a lesser experienced angler, and that line can rub on the bottom of the boat. Excellent. I don't even think about it. 200-pound, if it was my braid, I'd be worried. Right. But with 200-pound fluoro, dude, rub the boat, do whatever you want to do. By the time we're there, that fish is about to have a really bad afternoon unless you screw something up. Yeah. You know? <clears throat> you guys are uh, pretty well-known in this fishery, right? Why don't you uh, 
speak into some things that all of us go through, like big heartbreaks. Recently, you guys lost any big fish or seen anything happen you <laughs> wish it would have gone differently? Uh, I haven't had a shitty experience. I had, I had uh, in the in the tuna, well, I've got a couple. <laughs> in the tuna tournament, um, and again, because we're fishing rules that I don't really like, but there's a group of people that... <laughs> tuna club rules. Must tuna club be. rules, right? Yeah. So we were um, uh, fishing live flyers on a kite, and uh, I was using 30-pound 30 30 Dacron, and uh, it just you learn. Every time I go out and fish these tuna clip things, I learn something. When you use Dacron, two years ago I had uh, a kite bite, the line shoots back at you, and I got tip-wrapped with the Dacron. Oh, shit. Came tight, gone. Okay, so now I know when it comes out of the clip, I dump the tip of the rod in the water immediately so it, it can't grab it. So I learned something new on this trip a couple weeks ago. Um, got bit. I'm winding in the Dacron onto the reel. I'm not using my fingers to keep it tight. So now I've got a bunch of loose Dacron going onto the spool. That's not good. And then when it comes tight, guess what happens? Bury. It buries itself yep. into it. So I had a Zing Pal and... Uh, that was brutal, but again, it's it's all learning. It's not yeah. like we've been doing this for fifty years. I mean, yeah, you know, totally. And I don't get to go fish tuna club rules all the time, anyways. But that was like okay, a great learning experience mm -hmm. to where now I know if I'm fishing, you know, dacron, which I do once a year in this tournament. Everything else I'm using gorilla tackle, right? Straight braid, right? Throwing the rope at them. Yeah. But hold that line in your fingers. So you're putting it on tight yeah. onto the spool because even you know. when you're bringing in a bait that isn't bit or whatever, because a lot of times I'll go to let my line out and somebody else was using it and my line's all bunched up and crappy. And that's exactly what yeah. you say is going to happen. It's going to dig into itself and it's something gone. bad's going to happen. Yeah. yeah you always got to put that stuff back on with tension. Um, I haven't had any real heartbreaks this year. Last year I had a bad run like on filming. I mean, it's not cheap for us to film. There's a lot of pressure. You got a couple days to get it done. And like, I have one on the California flyer bite, the treble hook line off 400 pounds oh, wow. like scissors I, dude you tell me and we'll both know never wow. happened and they were up all morning we were catching them on the 302 like last june it was great da 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 fight this fish on tv or the boat side give me one more swing he's about to like somebody cut it with shears yo i've never had that happen ever had that happen usually yeah. by the time we get that bait rig or the california rig in their mouth they're not going there had anywhere. to be some sort of integrity had like, to be flailed in that in that line like you know something something nicked it or what have you you know something must have happened that we did i have a hard time or... even busting off 200 pound we've had it where it's so good we're just like okay let's put the screws to these things and like you couldn't believe how hard you could pull on 200 pound and not break it yeah it's like and they chew on it doesn't bother yeah. it nothing like yeah, I don't know, but that that sucked. Our biggest TV. hiccup I think we've ever had that I really learned from was um, we hooked a very, very, very large one three years ago, and we must have been on that fish for about three hours uh, before we got color, and the fish was hooked in the side of its gill plate. Everybody, like Cameron, all, our fleet, all our code group, everyone is absolutely waxing these things. Um, we had one per on the boat at that time, and I started getting really antsy and wanted to get back up swell at the top of the school. This fish wouldn't budge from like five feet out of gaff. And it, and it was upper threes, easy. Um, and we literally added like a pound more drag to it just because I got antsy and watched the thing pop right out. And, cool. you know, a very, very, very large fish swim away. So the takeaway of that is like once you got it at color, 
just leave the drag where it is if you're in a situation where it's foul hooked or not hooked well because one pound of drag could be the end of your dream fish you know and the client was freaking bummed you know and i was the one to put this drag forward but we, again i think we we're all antsy everybody wanted to, you hear the radio chatter you know we're, okay we got this fish yeah it's just right there you know pound more drag one or two more circles we got it and it was instant how quick that thing popped out oh, of skill plate sucks so. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's a game of inches. And sometimes <laughs> it's not. I mean, like, there's been plenty of times too where they get hung up, and we're like, "I'm sure you're doing the same." You yeah. Know, just, and that thing comes right up and dies. Yeah. But I try man. to really get a good look at how they're hooked, no matter what. Now, after they're at color, I really don't like touching the drag. I don't even like touching drag after they're straight up and down. I'll get it to where I like it to be, or where I feel it should be per that fish, and I don't touch it. And that was the one time I just got antsy and touched it and blew probably the biggest fish we've ever hooked or land. That's or like blew, the about old, to land. like on the party boat days when a guy's getting spooled, what's the first thing he does? Oh, always Whoa. tighten the drag. Yeah. <laughs> it's already tightening itself as it comes <laughs> yeah, off the spool. <laughs> exactly. That thing's getting tighter and tighter. You don't need to do anything. I don't know how many hard, and it's so hard to trust all that line on your reel, but trust me, there's a lot of freaking line. Yeah. Oh, that my 50s have 800 yards of 130. Yeah. You get one that swims off of 800 yards of line, he deserved to win yeah, that 100%. day. Like, good luck. 100%. Yeah, that's that's not going to happen. I think, you know, going back to, again, like the patience thing, right? You guys fish a lot, right? A lot of the guys that are hopefully going to be listening to this don't get to fish as much as we do. Yeah. Right? But when you do get that bite, you know, it, you've got to remain calm. Yep. Right, because that's always it's chaos is it's the death of your of your day. Yeah, and it's controlled by breathing most of the time too. Yeah, too. so yeah. just just you know just you know when you get the bite, just think through it, yeah. slow down, and just make sure you get that fish right. Because a lot of guys, you know, yeah, you want to jack up that drag or whatever. It's like, man, you know, do you really need to? Like, I don't know how experienced these guys are, right? And I guess it all depends on your experience level of fishing. But for the guy that's not a, a rock star out there you know and you did put the puzzle pieces together and you got the bite like finish it yeah right don't and then learn from it yep and then you know the second one and then the third one and, and you just kind of progressively just get better as you yeah. catch them but you got to start somewhere in if you're just screwing around and it's chaos you're never going to get a bite to begin with so. yeah i always say just breathe through your nose and just take it slow i mean you want to wind your line off tight but just don't spaz out you know what right. i mean just take it as it comes Again, breathing through your nose, try to put your line on straight, put your line on tight. Don't don't skip any of those steps because if you can do that, you're most likely going to be successful in landing these big fish. And if you don't do that, you're going to have hiccups that'll cost you a lot. Right. Yeah, slow is pro. Yeah. An old cab told me that years ago, and it just sticks in my head. When shit's going crazy and there's fish blowing up, yeah, I get another bit. Just two seconds isn't going to matter. No, exactly. Get your shit together, collect yeah. yourself, get another bait off the side of the boat or whatever. You get in a weird tangle or... You know that kind of stuff. Everybody freaks out when the lines oh, God, cross, the tangles, dude. Yeah. You can get away with a calm lot down. of cross. Yeah, <laughs> circled up lines. Down. As long as you stay calm. Yeah. You know that braid will rub on itself on another piece of braid, and as long as you're not putting a bunch of pressure on it, you're, you're okay. Good. Just calm down. You'll get it out. Yeah. You see so many fish lost to just like you said, spazzing out for yeah. whatever reason. But uh, yeah. So what's some of the other stuff? Like I know one of the things that frustrates me, and I know it frustrates you because we've talked about it on the radio a lot. It's people's inability to see a breezer. Yeah. I mean, dude, the rental boats, the Mad Max, the whole thing. Like, I, I'm out there. You're out there. You're trying to sneak up on a school of fish. You've got a flyer off the side. As soon as somebody's got a flyer off the side of the boat, just give them 500 yards. Yeah. Like, it's please. not that hard. Just please, 500, please, please. 300 yards that you can still get bit. But you get these guys coming. And 
God help them. They have no clue what they're doing. They just think they're out having a day of fishing. And, uh, you know, we're spooked to school and you're out of business. And like you said, that might be the only one you see all day. I'm going to do a new offering next year. It's like if you see me fishing and my kite's out the side and you give me room and let me do my thing, you can call or hit me up on Instagram or whatever for all the info you want. <laughs> but if you come over my kite, I'm going to give you info right to your face <laughs> because <laughs> that's getting old these days. You know, there's a lot of fish in this ocean. And, you know, it goes all the way back to slowing it down again. You know, use your eyes, slow it down. You know, it's if you assess what's going on and fish in a, in a positive manner that doesn't negatively affect other guys, you're going to do better as well. You're not going to do better cutting a school off from somebody that's set up that the school's marching into. If you downswell them or you run under their kite or run between the school and their kite, you're not going to do any better than if you just slowed it down and you let that school walk through me and then you got up swelling me. This is, you know, it's downswell fishing a lot of time with this kite and casting as well. Um, so if you see somebody set up and they got a mega school coming at them, go set up above them, you know, give them a bit of room, but that school's going to come to you too, Yeah, you know, and that's going to help you again. And know what to look for. Yeah. Right. Like a flat, calm day, finding a breezer is easy when it's not flat, calm. I think that's where the skill takes over. And I mean, we get fakied. 10 times a day when we're breezer fit. Oh, I think that's one. And then you get yeah. up there and it's not, but like you're looking for ripples on the surface on a great day. You'll see backs and fins. Shiners. Shiners is another great way. And one of the qualifiers for us, like in the distance that we think we see a breezer is there's almost always one bird on it picking. Yeah. It's not going to be a full blown show or anything it like that. It could be as easy as a couple shearwaters, a turn. Exactly. You're close to the Island goal. Yep. And, you're, and it's been a lot of seagull this year, which has been totally weird. Like we usually yeah. write seagulls off and they've been leading the way, but like, use your eyes. I, I can't stress, and I know not everybody's got it in their budget, but the importance of a tower. Yeah. Just getting on the lid of your small boat makes a huge difference. Yeah, the vantage point is, is a game changer. Oh man. You and can't you... see a lot from your cockpit unless your eyes are extremely trained. Correct. But you put yourself up above a little bit and give yourself a little higher of a vantage point, you are gonna open up a whole new world of seeing what's going on. Yep, you know? and you're gonna see those breezers and recognize them before you run them over or somebody, and it's happened all, there's been times we look over and there's fish shooting out from underneath the boat because you smoked one, you're watching right. something else, you ran right through it. Like, yeah. it happens, but if you can learn to identify that and respect when somebody else is working a breezer, like Dwayne said, you're just gonna catch more fish, yeah, you know? And, and when we're all in there jockeying together on one spot of fish, it's like a dance. Like, you know, come up yeah. swell, do this, go out, branch out. And I promise you, your best day is never going to be behind a party boat. Yeah. yeah. You've done it with us before where we just hopscotched all afternoon. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's three. Oh, yep. there's one. Everybody's doing it. And everyone's working together, going wide of the school of the body fish, which is obviously showing itself really well and allowing us all to set up on it. No qualms. Everybody's hooting, hollering, high-fiving, and giving shakas because everyone's working together and everyone's getting bit off the same body of fish all day long. Yeah, I mean, if you were to map that, a lot of times it's just like this. Everybody's jumping up, swallow the next guy, or pops up over here, come in, and then hook one, and then move out of the way, and let the next guy come in, and hook another one, and hook. It's just, it's a dance, and there, it, it, I know, like, a lot of these, because I used to lose my mind. I mean, we've all done it when people cut you off and freak out, and, like, for the last couple of years, I've been on, like, a mission to educate guys. Yeah. Like, I get cut off, I'm trying, I'm like, pull my shit in, I'm going to go next to their boat, and I'm going to tell them what they did, and a lot of times yeah. the guys are like, thanks we had no idea yeah you know it's, it, a lot of times it's unintentional and then obviously there are those bad actors that are just out there to run you over and make your day long but like i think there's a lot of value in that as well oh, the, yeah. the losing your mind thing dude you're taking years off your own yeah, life totally. you're not gonna win it's already stressful enough job what it, we do to stress yourself out by yelling at somebody's it makes it even worse we had a guy in june when we had that batch of fish um behind the 
181 all the way out to the island for like it was two weeks to ourselves coming to do that and i could just i glass him like he's not gonna do it. oh he's doing it okay we're doubled i'm not gonna get too pissed we're doubled and there's the one guy here and he's got his kid got our fish walked up to him and just kind of told him and he was so stoked i talked to him online like probably once a week once every two weeks and he shares stories about what i told him and he learned from me and it just like successing and it was just it was one of those guys you just didn't really know he yep. wanted his licks and i get that dude you don't untie your boat to go fish and not want to get your licks in you know he didn't just didn't understand and now he does and it's rad it's to see his growth and him and his son catching fish you know it's all just like again getting done with our task at hand and going educating him a little bit there was no yelling even needed it was like a, hey what's up dude i I don't know if you're you're you know sure what's going on here, but you kind of ruined us. But you can actually better your day and not ruin us and and catch some fish if you do this, you know. And it worked for him right away. We were like, oh my god, he's bending, sick. Yeah, that's you awesome. Know? And hopefully this is this reaches more people than we could on the water in a weekend or whatever, yeah. you know. But like to help everybody understand, there if you see a bait dangling from somebody's kite on the water, like there's something around there happening. Yeah, you know, just give a little bit of room find your own bit i mean you see those guys gang banging on the party boat and do all that dude that is not a recipe for success sneak off a half mile and i guarantee if you look hard enough you'll find your own chunk that's way more willing to bite fish the fringe yeah exactly <laughs> exactly i mean so far like how many times you just been sitting there greasing them by yourself and you're not a mile away from the circus i shot you know sometimes that close sometimes a little further but i shot you know like yeah. they're there the fleet's there but you're not fishing in the middle of it and you're just absolutely waxing them because you're fishing the fringe you're getting away from everybody that fish has a time to, to get out of chum lines and regroup and pack up again and you're taking advantage of that you know and then usually it's upswell of everybody and if there's one thing that these fish don't like it's a lot of activity above them like they're at their best when they're nobody's around or it's very quiet or everybody's drifting and it's chill you start all those motors in and out of gear and people buzzing here buzzing there it's just it's not nobody's gonna win in that yeah situation. wakes also that's another thing i don't know if we touched on that especially when it's not super early you don't have a lot of surface condition it's glassy or you have like five six knots enough to get the the kite and the flyer offering out but if you're throwing wakes and you're going through zones your wakes basically a force field your wakes going to a school will be going like this you'll hit them with your wake as you're trying to set up fast or get on them quicker you just push that school back down swell like 200 yards they don't like wakes i have a sonar i watch them swim off of wakes all the time they know what they are now yeah yeah they, and, <laughs> it's and been eight years <laughs> you, you wouldn't imagine that 20 tons of tuna can change direction on a dime oh, yeah. oh my god you do one thing like i can let my guy slam hatches it makes me nuts yeah when you're sliding into one somebody's going to grab something real quick and that hatch slams i see him and I mean, just from the noise of a hatch. Yeah. Now imagine how it is you hit them with a big wake or you get impatient going to that breezer and you motor up or whatever. And that's something else we've noticed. They don't mind noise as much as they don't like a change in noise. Yes, exactly. You know what I mean? Change. Like if you're idling into them or even fast idling into them, dude, they'll, as long as they hear you coming for a while, they really don't freak out. Yeah, they acclimate to it actually. Yeah. But if you, you drop your throttle, you're going in too fast and you drop your RPM or your throttle a lot, they notice that change in vibration and tone and they've scattered. If you can go in real slow and slowly come off of it out of gear, a lot of times they don't even care. But it's just the drastic change in RPM and, and harmonics in your motors, whether uh, uh, sorry outboard or inboard, will do some damage to those things as far as like giving you a chance to catch them or not. They yeah, if you've ever in. snorkeled around a boat, I mean, you hear that stuff from a mile away. Yeah. They're hearing it and feeling it. Mm -hmm. Like it just makes total sense. And I've seen it where I pull it out of gear, my you know clunk little clunk coming out of gear, and they just go, bah, they freak out. And they'll bust the other direction. Everybody get electronic throttles, please. Y oh, my <laughs> gosh. Yeah, seriously. So, you, know, you know, sometimes you'll get that little extra clunk, and that's all it yep. takes to send Oop. them packing. It's crazy. Um, 
so the other thing I want to touch on too is just being able to recognize a breezer. Practice. Get out there and see it. Breezers will change your whole day or a flat spot, you know, in rougher weather. But the ability to pick that off gives you so many more targets through the day than just meter fishing. Yeah. You yeah. know? Um, that's with a good pair of gyros. Don't even get me started. Yeah. Right, like, I, we've all seen it. We all live and die by them. But again, it's it's another, you know, what we do is expensive yeah right yeah. There's, there's no nothing no. there's no cheap way of of going out and going offshore and trying to catch these tunas right it's just another tool it's no different than a rod and reel yep right or your flyer or your kite or whatever if you don't have that piece you're done yeah now you're just getting lucky yeah, yeah. and anymore it's like you know you get a set of fujis for what 1200 bucks 1300 dollars. Yeah. like dude it's a rod and reel it's a yeah. absolute must-have and the thing that I try to explain to people is the higher you get, it's exponentially better. Yeah. You're on your lid of a small boat like a Parker. Dude, they're four times as powerful. Mm -hmm. You get into a bigger boat where you get, you know, another three feet, it doubles again. And then you've been like a big Viking tower. Dude, that's cheating. Yeah. It is straight up. I don't even go in the bucket cheating. on that boat because it's like, all right, dude, I want to go just the bridge. I'm fine. That's like too unfair up there. You see yeah. breezers from like five, five miles, miles away. Like, yeah. You can see a breezer on the surface. Okay, like, I go in the bucket. But. Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. No, it's it's it is crazy, and the, you know you can get the Frasers, which are I think another step up in buying those, yeah. and you, you hit Jimmy up at Gyro Pros. Is that his website? Yeah. Dude, they're three grand. Yeah. Like it's an investment. Don't get me wrong, but it's a tool. It's going to pay itself back real quick. So fast. I mean, how many times that one bird change your day or, you know, yellowfin fishing, you see a dolphin at five miles. Right. And it, yeah. And it's it, just not tuna fishing. It it's is. All oh, everything. Every, everything. every everything. kind of fishing for sure. For sure. I don't like anywhere I travel. I'm sure the same way. They're always with me. Oh yeah. If I'm doing I anything. take them rock cutting in the winter because I've found schools of yellow. We, we had a school of bluefin on like February 26, like five years ago. Because yep. I saw a ton of birds off in the distance, got my gyros. I'm like, oh, dude, it's all bluefin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, no, I, totally. Who takes bluefin or uh, gyros bluefin or uh, sorry, yeah. rock fishing. <laughs> I always joke that I take them trout fishing. Yeah. Like I just don't want to be without them. They're yeah. the security blanket for sure. Yeah. You know, going back and forth to Mexico, dragging those things. And I just feel naked when I don't have them. Um, what's some of the other tips you could think of to get guys really on the fish and, and, you know, seeing that fish and maybe understanding that fish a little bit better. I think you guys, cause you do it so much. So maybe from my perspective on a guy that doesn't get to go as often as you, but again, it's, it's the, it's the preparation. It's having the code group or, or buddies or something, but whether it's, you know, I mean, I'm on fish dope religiously i mean i'll look at jd's website mm -hmm. you know i'm on marine traffic i'm on you know and you kind of piece together all that stuff and then you can follow you can almost follow yeah. the fish every single day yeah you can put it together on your mind before yeah. you leave the dock so i fish via the internet right? <laughs> so i'm doing that almost every single day it's a tool so if it does come out you know and obviously i i'm blessed to know enough guys to where i can make a few phone calls but yep. there's guys that don't and so at least you can put together a game plan. Sure. Absolutely. Right. And, and know like where to go and what to do. So at least you're in position, you know, to get a bite. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's a lot of studying, right. It's a lot of looking at, you know, charts and, yep. you know, like fish dope. I mean, it's just having the, the chlorophyll, right. Like yep. just seeing that stuff and seeing the temperature breaks and, and all that stuff. It's, it's game changer for the average guy that doesn't have, you know, this giant group of people that they can rely on that are on the water every single day. And, you know, and again, it's not cheap. So do your homework. So when you go out, you're at least 
prepare or you're in the right position, right? You're, sure. you're putting yourself in a spot to get a bite. Yeah. And build a network. I mean, you got yeah. a crazy network. You talk to everybody and we we're talking to all the same guys and all that stuff. Like it fish dope's great. It'll get you in the zone. Right. And it'll give you a good idea, big picture of what's going on, but there's nothing like having a buddy come off the water that night. Oh yeah. Found him somewhere yeah. else and drop you, you know, drop you a check. And now you know that you're at least going to be very close the next day. Yeah. And then one other thing that's a lost art, which growing up catching albacore and all that was like, learn to read the water. Yeah. You know, SST charts are so essential. If the fish is parked on a piece of structure on the tanner bank or whatever, okay, they're not playing as big of a role. But like this year when all that stuff was bouncing around between the islands and the snail and the Osborne and all that, I guarantee you when that stuff's not on a piece of structure, it's on a piece of water. Yeah, yeah. You know? Those those breaks, whether it's it's chlorophyll or or temperature breaks, are a highway for these fish. Um, another one that's really worked good for me over the years is say you've got a 20 mile long break. It's both chlorophyll and temperature, which does happen a lot here. Um, and they're, they're one, one spot or one little section, um, that day. If you're fishing every day, you try to figure out how far they're moving each day. Again, this fish in June, we had to ourselves, they're moving six to eight miles a day in that six to eight miles a day. They're moving five from dark until light until we find them the next morning. It was like clockwork. Um, then they disappeared. So what do we do? We look at current altimetry. And that's where you're gonna start seeing spin-ups, which sucks in all the bait, all the kelps. You'll notice a lot of times when you're in the really good bluefin zone, you're in a really good kelp zone too, you know? It's not a coincidence. And that's been a, a big, big deal for us is following those alternate, or, you know, current height charts where the water's rising and sucking everything in. And boom, lo and behold, that's where they're at. And that's happened to us probably four times already this year. Where okay, where do we go? right to that spot and they were within a, a mile two mile three miles of a of main of a, the center of a spin up and we've lived and died i mean back in the day for albacore that we lived and died by that chart. Yeah, yeah and it's i feel like it's just gone away like guys forget to look at the water and i mean you go somewhere remote we go down to pv or fishing off mag we still live and die i'll tell you there's few things more satisfying than looking a day to a week out watching that water develop mm -hmm. watching that edge you know what day you're going to be there rolling right out there and, and it's there. just it's there it is so satisfying yeah i would me. almost say it's almost i think it's more important to understand those charts the sea surface temperature chlorophyll current altimetries current heights all that stuff it's more important to understand and, and live by that than it is to live by a code group you could cut off my phone service you you could cut me off from everyone and i can still survive fishing if i have my sst's and chloros it's it's the bible for me um i travel all over the world fish i did a lot of time in fiji um there's no one out there especially when i first started going we were the only boat fishing yep. and i found that uh what's the buoy weather one um the buoy weather website had a sst thing they had shots in fiji and that's why i went off of i, I got an account with that and lo and behold it was like instant they're especially, right it's yeah. right where they're supposed to be like wow that just clarifies it all you know yeah like so that that's a really really important tool to use and learn and understand because it will make a big difference in your fish hunting skills and one other thing along it goes hand in hand with that is like you hear guys on the radio oh the water's getting colder they're not going to be here yeah. i'm like i don't know how many times we have to say this but bluefin do not give a shit about what your water temperature is yeah. i have seen giants in 90 degree water in the bahamas and i've caught them in nova scotia in 50 degree water all they care about is one thing, and food. it's it's just food. Yeah. It, it doesn't 
like and the only reason they're on a temperature break is because the food's there yeah. it's not because they care want to be on the warm side or the cold side if i'm looking at a break like that and i roll in i'm always starting on the cold side because it just seems like they do gravitate towards that cooler water mm -hmm. when given the opportunity but man i mean we've caught them especially at el nino year we were catching 78 degree water right. or something yeah. like that they they're just they're eating machines and that's their main priority is going to be food and not temperature where some of the other species really do care about temperature yeah absolutely and that's the surface temperature too right yeah think about it if it's 78 degrees on top yep what's below the thermocline what's below yeah. right and it gets gets them back if i mean i don't know and, and if how, you're if you watch your meter those fish are all below the thermocline when you're marking them usually unless yep. they're up breezing or flat spot or high and dry Agreed. they're swimming they're below the thermocline so it's cold down there no matter what. And those fish have eternal heaters. They can live in cold water. They can travel long distances in cold water. Um, they don't mind it. They actually prefer it. So your surface temperature does, I think, have a little bit to do with it. A little bit. But again, it's not going to bother them if the food's there. there are, they can just go down, down deep and, you know, relieve themselves and be cool anyway. Yeah, I think, you know... It if you've never dove, you don't really understand that. But like, you know, I did a bunch of dive when I was younger. It's like that our water is actually layers of a cake. Yeah. You'll go down and it gets cold and you get batted one direction. You go down a little bit further. It gets colder and you get batted another direction. It's not homogenous top to bottom. Let's say everybody's like, oh, this hurricane is going to send a bunch of fish our way. Well, the hurricane's influencing the top 10 feet yeah. of yeah. the water. Like currents are everything. A hurricane is like wind on a, on a river and the currents is the, the flow of the river. You know, that's what's really moving the water around. And again, like the bluefin, just d put the number out of your head. Just find edges. Edges are what's really important, not yeah. what the what the meter says in terms of temperature. Um, I'm trying to think, like, what are some other things to get guys pointed in the right direction that are, you know, that are maybe still struggling? Um, Understanding is a lot of times this is migratory fish. Like, uh, you know, it does double back. I've noticed on full moons occasionally, but these things are usually pointed one direction until equinox and then they go back the other way you know yeah. what i mean it's like you know if you don't always here's the one is i always have a plan b so you know where the fish have been you've got your reports from the day before that's where you're gonna go guys got them but where are you gonna go if they're not there you know did you do the homework on that and give yourself a, a plan b even a plan c you know map out your your sst see if there's any other spin-ups happening along that break that or not in the one where the fish are, you know, have somewhere else to go. Cause a lot of times that'll save your day or otherwise you'll sit there drifting when you're marking one fish here, one fish there, like they got on the top of the 302 because they were there yesterday. You know, it's like, you know, always be ready to stick and move. If you, they're not there, you've got to go somewhere else. And if you're stuck and you don't have a game plan, and you don't have your SSTs downloaded on your phone, you're just going to, you're just spin around in circles is what I watch guys do. Totally. Where agree. we pick up our stuff, like our whole kit, tie our kite down to our yeah, know, boat and we're gone. Yep. You know, that's a really, really, and that saved our butts a lot of times too. You know, again, these things are crazy. They have these things called tails and they will swim off. So be prepared to go chase them. And I feel like a lot of those guys, when they aren't seeing it like that, the trollings, they're like teddy bear that they cling to. Yeah. This just feels okay. The boat's moving. I got lures in the water. It's like, no dude, if you're not seeing it, pull that crap yeah. and get it out of there. Yeah, go find another piece of water, find yeah. the life or yep. whatever that may be. But yeah, most of the time these fish are on a path. So it's like, if they're not there, they're probably north or northwest of where they were because they're that's which way they head every year yep. and then it reverses again in the fall and they go southeast yeah so you and know you, just understand that you touched on the moon as well like when they're biting like crazy a lot of times they'll bite through the moon but a lot of times it just dude they 
put their nose in the mud and like you can't dig a fish up to save your life and yeah. I, I try to stay away from the full moon when i'm planning you know the day of the day leading up to it if i can't avoid it i will not sure yeah. we've all got exceptions yeah but man especially when those fish will get settled in around the island or out at the bank they're I mean, sometimes they'll take off on that full moon and they'll be yeah. gone for 10 days. I call it the full moon boogie and they're not yeah. dancing. No, yeah. they're just going Jamming. somewhere they're else. They're either deep or they're moving or whatever. But, and then lo and behold, you're like, oh, season's over. And then a week later, they're, you know, jumping in the boat again. Yeah. Yep. Um, Absolutely. Definitely something else to consider. Um, let's talk about another way to catch them that is kind of drift related, which is the sinker rig. Yep. You do much yeah. of that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I like to sink a rig a lot of the times. It seems like, you know, early in the season, it's good. It's good around the pens. It's good around structure. And it's good when you're not seeing the fish visually, but you're marking it deep, whether it be 10 fathoms, whether it be 30 fathoms, what have you. Um, that's when that that tactic and comes into play and, and, and is really, really successful for us. Um, you know, it, it's more of a electronics game. You really got to trust your electronics, trust your sonar, trust your up and down. And, and but in the same time, you still got to try to get above a body of fish. You get above a body of fish, you send your sinker rigs down, you do big long drifts, and it can be really, really successful for your your, uh, your fish count. Um, jigs are also come to play in that situation too. Vertical jigs, deep, just deep presentations. Um, I like the Brawler rig. I think he did a really, really good deal with that. It's basically a giant glorified drop shop rig mm -hmm. that presents your bait in a way better fashion than the old rubber band sinker rig, which gives just too much drag in your offering, which causes scope where the brawler rig is more slimmed down. It's like I said, a drop shop rig and it keeps you more presented right in an up and down fashion, you know, depicting on current, but it, always better than the rubber band rig. And so that's the circle hook with the ring, correct? right? And you're yeah. tying 20 pound to yeah. the sinker yep so off the, of it three foot drop or something like that yeah yeah about three feet it breaks off once you're bit and you're tied on a big one and you're off to the races yeah no i i think that's a much cleaner it reminds me of what we we're doing for swordfish starting out yeah. you know sending the sinker down on the hook yeah and it gets you in the zone and keeps you clean without all that scope i i definitely do like that better and honestly it's just quicker yeah it you is know, it you is. tie it up quicker and get it over the side faster we probably don't do enough of the of the down rig on our boat because we're always looking to find that next breezer or whatever but yeah. man on no wind days when they're marching under the boat and you can't get a kite bite it's as deadly as anything. Yeah, and again, around structure, man, I've, I've noticed that's where it really shines. Like, the last three years, when that stuff moves through, like, Baja Norte and through that pen zone, yeah. that is the way to catch them. And you get a few days to a week on it. And it's crazy because you'll get in, in situations like that, especially, again, around the pens, where you might not even be marking meat, but you, you're, you're up and down meter, your sonar's peppered, where you've got anywhere from two to ten fish all throughout the column on your meter at all times, that's, you're going to get so bit on the, on the sinker rig like that. You know, it's just constantly swimming through. It's not meat, but it's there. It's, it's wafted out, which means it's looking for food. And, um, it, it's deadly in that situation. The same with on the banks. Um, you know, it'll get really good in the early mornings and evenings. Again, when you're just doing big, long drifts, just have a couple lines down. You'd be surprised on how many bites you really get. It's kind of overlooked, um, method. I think it's catching on a little bit more now. But um, it's 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 really good, and it's another option on no wind days, yeah. which I really yeah. like when you're sitting there, you know, waiting for the wind to pick up or whatever. It works really well. And another rig that we go to is the um, 
the backpack rig yeah when there's no wind it's deadly it takes a little bit more work and you know a little more presentation but one thing we've been doing lately too is when we start getting those meter marks and we turn it up into the wind throw a backpack in your prop wash yeah it gets bit yeah yeah, yeah you know sure. not as good as a live flyer but it gets bit really really well and that's one of the things i'm excited with the new california flyer is that thing floats yeah that's going to change for no wind condition and they, they're saying you control it and troll it off of a rigger i mean that's just another way to get a bait and dude it's the funniest thing you know you got that thing on the on the upwind side and you're not paying attention watching your kite yeah. and you just hooked a 200 yep. yeah you know it's a really effective way to fish when there's not a lot of wind we had this day sam wisen was fishing with me and he'd fish with with dave reed i think the day before and they had a bunch of Loses. bunch of leftover flyers so it's like, oh, dude, check this out. A whole baggie of them, or a whole trash bag of them. And they're like kind of browning or whatever. Like, like what are you, what are you gonna do with these? I got a bunch of brand new ones. He's like, dude, let's make decoys. <laughs> so we slid up on a spot. We had a couple fish going, and Sam was making decoys the whole way out. He starts throwing them over the side. I shit you not, every one of those decoys got smoked. Oh, yeah. I, I, we didn't even see the first one. I turn around, there's this whitewash hole. I'm like, what? Sam's all decoy. And then there was one like 10 feet from it. Boom! I'm like, oh my god, dude. It worked. They were just doing like the, you know, backpack rig. He brought all the stuff for it. We were just throwing them over the side. We should have put hooks in them. Chumming frozen flyers. Yeah. yeah. It was classic, dude. Have you ever heard of people sinking them out and getting bit? Oh, yeah. See, I've never done that. No. And I've, I I heard about it. I've never tried it. But apparently they will eat it underwater as well, you know? Yeah. And I know a couple guys, commercial guys, that'll just put them down on, a, on basically a sinker rig thing at night. And they've, they've done pretty well on it. Yeah, not I mean, always, but they they'll wake up to doubles or sing like they're they're bit. That's sick. It's yeah. it's further proof that like we probably still haven't uncovered ten other ways to catch these. Yeah, they, they only they just pin them on, like I think two hundred pound nine o circle hook through the back. Don't do anything else to them. Let them defrost underwater, whatever. Just throw them in the water. Yeah, no yeah. wings, no. They put them down like you know wherever they're seeing fish, then 20, 30, 35 fathoms. Okay, just like a backhand hooked bait. <laughs> they catch fish. Yeah, we've been doing. Um... You know, obviously you got you got your kite bait out one way, right? But you have your backpack bait, you know, goes out the other side. Yep. And then you get your up and down rods, you got your sinker rig rods, and you can normally get two of those out there. But if anything, you're you're now covering just so much more water. Yeah. Right. And it's it's glorified catfishing when you're in that deal. It's boring as hell. Yep. Right. But and you're just waiting for the clicker to go off. But yeah. you know, we But at least you know, you're covering a, a you know, a vast array yeah, of the Sometimes they want to eat that sinker rig that's super deep. Yep. And they won't come up and touch those baits or, you know, vice versa. But at least if you got the spread on the water, like you've got a better shot. Right. Yeah. So it's it's just get a bunch of baits in the water. Yeah. It's like that Porto Vallarta spread. I mean, that's what we always did. We had two down. Had a balloon out with a caballito on it. Had a kite out. Squid. Fishing, yeah. Squid down or squid on it. You're fishing in every direction, yeah. every height you can. I mean, I think for what we do here in the smaller boats, it's probably more efficient for us to jockey around like we're doing. Mm -hmm. But definitely in those low wind times, man, anything I can get in the water has got a hook in it where I think I got a chance. I'm, I'm putting that spread out. Yeah. Um, Covered got it. bait, fly line. Uh, yeah, you guys want to talk about, so fly line fishing a little bit. I know you love fly line fishing. It feels like growing up, like that's all we knew back in the day. You Traditional. Know? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Feels like the good old days. Like what, what's your fly line setup? What do you like to use? It all depends on, you know, size of fish, obviously. Luckily with the day and age of technology and inf information highway, we kind of know what we're targeting. You do get kind of Indian tax surprised sometimes by big fish, but you know, it all just depends on, on the fish. If it's 20 to 50 pound fish, I'll, I'll try to fish, get away with 40 pound 
a lot of times you're dipping down to 25. I really don't like fishing less than 25 on these fish. Amen. Too many heartbreaks. Amen. If your hook doesn't have a zero in it, I don't want to fish it. Yeah, yeah. But unfortunately, <laughs> we're you know you'll find yourself a lot of time fishing these user-friendly school-grade fish with 25-pound fluoro. I fish like at least a 15-foot piece of it, so you're extra stealthy. Um, and I try to get away with the smallest hook possible. Um, I really like like Gamagatsu, um, Nautilus Circle, size two, owner um, circle, size four. You know, you'll wow. be surprised on what you can catch. We've landed fish over 100 pounds on those size four hooks or size two hooks. Um, but yeah, you're just kind of, you know, playing the finesse game, you know, as heavy or as light as you can get away with. And lots of bait, lots of chum, you know, get a school under your boat unload a dipper or two and then train those fish though every single piece of chum in the same corner every single time train those fish like dogs that that's where their food is going to come from make your cast in that corner and it tends to be pretty successful um works really really well for us and as the fish grow your your, obviously your gear will grow um if you can get that bigger stuff 80 to 100 plus pounds on on fly line that's really fun as well Uh, you know you're going to be looking more like 50 to 60 pound line two speed reels seven foot rods stuff like that um, it's just knowing what you're targeting size-wise. Yeah, and like you said, you're going to get snuck up on sometimes. Oh. I hate little tiny hooks. I just feel like we pull so many of them. The casualty rate's so high. I go the other direction. I like a 2.0 or a 1.0, but mm-hmm. I go light wire. Okay. And I notice the bait still swims fine. you got to be cognizant. You can't pull like you would on a heavy hook for sure. Mm-hmm. But you can land fish 60 and 80 pounds, no problem on that lighter wire hook. Yeah. And I feel like it just gives you a little bit more gap to catch them in the corner of the mouth. Yeah. We've been doing really good with the VMCs, the sure sets and all that. Mm-hmm. And I've been super happy with them. Um, I get frustrated as heck when you miss 20 bites in a row because that little hook or, you know, whatever. Just mm. especially with guys that aren't the most savvy bait fishermen. Sure. You know, yeah, missing I think that's the, that's the key, right? It's the, how good are you on fly line and that bait would dictate, you know, the size of the hook. Because yeah. I'm on your team. Right. I, yeah. I use set Small. smaller, you know, number two, even a number four. Yeah. You know, it's like the give hook. the get. It's like, okay, you can use a bigger hook and you're, you might not get as many bites, but you're going to get more for sure hook sets and fish in the boat per hook set. Yep. Yeah. But for me, it's like, I think I'd rather go the smaller route, get more bites that I think is almost going to translate to as many fish on the boat because we're getting a lot of bites, albeit they are missing them or pulling hooks. You are going to generate a lot yeah. more bites with the stealthy approach. But again, it's like, Everybody fishes a little yeah, bit different. Just, just let them yeah. choke on it. Don't yeah. put it in gear really quick. Yeah. Let them choke yeah, on yeah. that bait, you know, and then, you know, that smaller hook will come into play. Yep. You'll get the you'll Yeah, get the and then set. at the end of the day, it probably is a wash. I think it's whatever you're more exactly. comfortable with. I just lose my mind when we start missing fish. Or For me, it's out. like a lot of clients don't understand the the fly lining aspect, like how light to have your, lamp, your hand on the spool. There are a lot of real heavy hands on yep. spools. Yep. So I figure if the bait's got a better chance of swimming with a lighter piece of hardware in it, um, then they're gonna their bait's gonna look better swimming and if they have a heavy hand with a heavy hook then the bait's just like spinning in circles another big 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 thing for me is uh perfection loop anytime you're fishing fly line especially for finicky bluefin tuna i never straight tie my line to my hook i always fish a perfection loop i don't fish ringed hooks either because that loop is basically a free ringed hook yep. minus the hardware so you got to think about this hook with this metal made of metal on this little fish that's got to carry it around in, in his belly. Yep. Um, if you add a ring to it, that's just more weight. So if you just use the line, make a loop with your line, that le- that weight's already there because the line's already there. You're shaving off a little bit and allowing that fish or that bait fish not to work as hard to swim around. No, 100%. Yeah. And I've, I've 
told people that and they've come back. I can't tell you how many people, clients, colleagues, friends, peers, whatever. They're like, dude, that knot is the truth for fishing. Yeah, for it's a knot. great hook. And it's we are a great knot. You're like, you're relying. It's the simplest knot ever. It's almost ever. like a square knot. Ever. Dude, we've caught tune over 300 pounds yep. on it. I don't even tie San Diego knots anywhere on my hooks. I don't. I oh, do yeah. not. Yeah, I, I no, mean, for we, my we, jigs and stuff, absolutely. But if I'm fishing light bait, I'm fishing a perfection loop. I've got all my crew, all my other captains trained to do it. Like, I don't want to see straight tight hooks because it, it just, they don't get bit as well. You got to think about the swivel point alone. Yeah. You know, it puts just more wiggle into your whole way more action. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. We got to wrap up here pretty soon. We've covered a lot of topics. You touched on one more thing that I want to, I want to uh, hit before we go out. Where do you, with your fly line and bait, how are you hooking your bait? belly hook always your belly hook huh yeah. robbie no nose hook yeah i'm a nose hook who's turning into a collar hook guy like i don't know something about that collar does seem like it gets bit a little bit better to me but and then you know if they're down i can't get a bite then i go to the butt hook and, yeah. and try to but that's like that's yeah, a, i guess it depends on the situation but 99 times out of 100 i'm just pinning it through the nose really? firing him out there and if he's you know michael phelps i'm in business if he's not michael phelps he's changed he's yeah. coming out and yeah get a new bait on. yeah i'll belly hook 98 percent of the time i will shoulder hook sometimes if it's wide and i notice it's starting to taper off i'll give a different presentation through the collar but again most times we're belly hooking i i don't remember the last time i nose hooked a bait for a tuna wow that's crazy probably 15 years Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Everybody does it different. It all works. But like, I know everybody's got their preferences. Man, I appreciate you guys making the time to sit down with everybody. I think put a lot of data out there that probably really wasn't available anywhere. You yeah. know, this is some inside stuff. I think little nuggets for the guys that are paying attention. I think you're going to pick off something. Hope you guys had a good time. It was great sitting Absolutely. down with you guys. Yeah, and, thanks uh, for having us. Do it again. Sure.